I want to start this morning by just asking, like, a question. What, what is it that you're ready to give up on? Okay? Um, there may be things that immediately come to mind, but, it, but maybe um, some of those more immediate things. But, but, but what would be something that you're, that you're in the midst of your life right now, you're wrestling with, you're struggling with, because quite frankly, if we're just going to be honest, it would be easier to quit. It would be easier to let it go. It would be easier to just drop it and walk away. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about that condition of life where, where what it takes to sort of like remain, to, to, to stick, to, to hang in. Because we're in this series uh, in the book of Ruth. It's a, Ruth is a short uh, little book in, from the Old Testament. Um, we'll say more about it as we go through uh, the whole series. But, but um, it, it, it's not long, but it's just packed with so much truth in the story of, of these people. It really hinges or focuses on three individuals. Obviously, Ruth, um, that the book is named after, and, and we're going to spend time on her story today. Um, but it also deals with a man named Boaz. Um, Boaz becomes Ruth's husband um, in, in, in the book of Ruth. Um, but it begins, and this is where we were last week, and Dan shared with us about Naomi. Naomi was, was Ruth's mother-in-law. And, um, and Naomi, Naomi's story is this story of what we might call sort of like a sensible drift. Like, she made sensible decisions. But her sensible decisions, when you added in really negative consequence, she wound up, like in the story, she wound up a long way from home. Um, she wound up, a, a, and home for her had, had religious implication. When we look at the story as, as imagery for our, our, all of our relationship with God, Naomi kind of drifted in naturally, sensibly. She made what we would say were probably the, you know, good decisions, maybe sensible decisions based on the information she had, but she wound up alone in a foreign land with foreign gods, and, and then she decides to return. In order to help us with this, I know this is going to disappoint many of you, um, but I, I want to share a map, okay, um, of just what we're looking at. This is, this is uh, southern Palestine. You see the Dead Sea is the big blue body of water there um, toward in the bottom, bottom half of that map. But the places we're talking about in the story, the, the area that's circled is, is Bethlehem. It's outside Jerusalem. It's, it's, um, it really is like a, a suburb of Jerusalem. It's, it's a small town. Um, but that's where Naomi was from, that her people were from. And she, she, um, when, when her husband was still living, they moved to the, to the land of Moab because things were better there. The, the, the figuratively, the grass was greener on the other side of the Dead Sea. Okay? Um, and so they moved to Moab, and this is, that's where the story begins is with, with Naomi in Moab. Um, and, uh, and last week, Dan shared uh, the book of Ruth in, in 120 seconds. So you give us a handout. I'm just going to blitz through this again, and you can time me. I think it's 120 seconds, but give or take a few. But I want to read through this again because this is the whole overview of the book of Ruth before we dive into some of the details here. So just listen to this. This book starts with an Israelite family living in Bethlehem and a famine that comes to the land. The decision is made to move the entire family to the land of Moab. After arriving in Moab, the father dies, and the two sons go on to marry Moabite women. After 10 years in Moab, the sons die, both of them leaving only the mother, Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Naomi, in grief, decides to return home to Israel. She compels Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab. Orpah agrees, but Ruth does not. Ruth is incredibly loyal to Naomi and chooses to follow Naomi's God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. 
and her people, Israel. And so the mother and daughter-in-law return to Israel, where Naomi renames herself Mara, which means bitter. She continues to grieve all that's lost. Now in Israel, the region of Judah, Ruth heads out to look for food in the fields. It was common practice for the poor to pick grain from the areas set aside for them. Ruth ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, who just happens to be related to Naomi. Boaz is kind and generous to Ruth. He gives her special access to his field. Boaz is really impressed with Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Ruth soon arrives home and shares the positive report about Boaz's generosity. Naomi tells Ruth that there's something even more exciting. Boaz is Naomi's relative, what's called a family redeemer. Let me explain. In Israel, if a man died and left behind a wife, kids, or, or land, the family redeemer, the closest relative, was to take on the land belonging to the deceased and continue the family line, if possible, through marriage. Naomi now sees a future for her family line in the union of Boaz and Ruth, so she urges Ruth to approach Boaz. And in an unusual way, Ruth asks Boaz to redeem Naomi's family by marrying her, by marrying Ruth. In the last chapter, Boaz does just that. He marries Ruth and redeems all things associated with Naomi's family. Ruth goes on to have a son, Obed. Naomi is thrilled her family line will go on. Obed is the grandfather of King David, the line from which Jesus the Savior would come. What started out with tragedy for Naomi was redeemed. And behind the scenes, all along the way, God was working through human decisions to accomplish his will and redeem not only Naomi's story, but our story through Christ. This short little book contains an awful lot. I want to challenge you before we even get into the rest of what we have to talk through this morning. I want to challenge you. It's a short book. This week, read through it once. It's four chapters, and they're short chapters. Read through it once. Let the whole story soak in. Read through it in one sitting, okay? I want to challenge you to do that as we go through this. So we're going to take a look at, um, uh-oh, notes out of order. We're going to take a look at, at Ruth. There we go. Um, at Ruth, uh, and we're going to start in chapter 1, kind of where we were last week, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, and you'd look at Ruth chapter 1 with me, that would be great. I'll put it on the screen as well. But we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, okay? And we're going to take a look at this from a different angle. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 says this, Then she arose, this is she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had, she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So, sorry, Naomi and, and her two daughters-in-law are living in Moab. Naomi decides, let's go back to where I'm from, Bethlehem, or I'm going to go back to where I'm from in Bethlehem. I hear there's food there now. Verse 7, so she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, re, uh, return each of you to her mother's house. Go home. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She, she, it's literally the, 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 the now the, the grass is greener back home, back in her homeland. She says, go home, okay? Leave me here. Verse 9, she says, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband, that you may remarry. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. They clearly had a deep affection for Naomi. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your, your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your, she, Naomi, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Catch this. Pause here for a second. Naomi says in this passage, she says, there's no future with me, right? There's, if you stay with me, if you stick it out with me, there's no future. Um, in fact, she says, like, you, you should go back to, just as I'm going back to my way of life, this is the sensible thing to do in this moment, just as I'm going back to my way of life, my place, my people, you should do the same. Go back to your homes. Go back to your people. And did you see what she attached there? Go back to your gods. You see, there's this practical decisions of life, but that are still connected to the spiritual life that Naomi recognizes. That the direction I'm heading, the places I'm going, it's not just about food and family. There's a spiritual element to this. And here's where we'll camp here with Ruth, because this is key in the story. Verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth says, you're not getting rid of me. I'm, I'm stuck to you. And I want you to catch the distinction, what, what Ruth does here, and how it's different from what had been modeled before. Because the decisions that Naomi had made, I think we could look at all of them and go, that makes sense. It makes sense for you to, to leave a land with no food. It makes sense for you to go to a place where there is food. You've put down roots here as a family. It makes sense for your sons to marry women in this place. You're probably going to be here a long time. It just makes sense. What Ruth says here makes no sense. It's not sensible. A, a, a widow with a widow in, in a, a world that's hostile to their condition, in a place where they don't have the means to provide for their needs. What Ruth says is, I'm not, what would be sensible for Ruth would be to, to, head, to do what Naomi says, to go back, to find people already uh, familiar with her, friendly with her. She would have still been young enough to find a husband, and as we, the story bears out, to have children and, and a family and a future in that way. If she had done that, like what Orpah does, the other daughter-in-law, is very sensible. It just makes, it just makes sense. It, 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 it lines up with, with kind of the lived experience that we all go through to, to make decisions based on the information that we have to take care of ourselves. For Ruth, who was a widow, to attach herself to Naomi, another widow, and to head to a land that was completely foreign to her, where there was no certainty of anything. This was not a sensible decision. Ruth makes a different decision. And that's going to bring us to sort of the, the, the first big idea when we look at Ruth in this story. 
And it's this, that Ruth's commitment was full and permanent. Ruth had made a, a, a choice and a decision to be with Naomi. She had committed to not just Naomi, but to Naomi's God. Which, again, in, in the first century, now to us, we sort of, we see this, right? We see people who, who might change a relig- religious belief, who may have grown up in one tradition and they move to another. But, but it, it, for us, in many ways, there's some cultural stuff around it, but it happens so often that in many ways for us, it's commonplace. And we kind of go like, well, that's normal. In the first century, this is a much, no, sorry, this is not the first century, the 11th century before Christ, in the ancient world, this is a much bigger deal. Because so much of the identity was tied to the deity that you worship. So much of who you were was who you worshipped and, and, and the God that you worshipped. That, that for, for Ruth to say, I'm abandoning the, the, where I grew up. I'm abandoning my, my, like, the gods of my youth, the land of my youth. And I'm, I'm going with you, Naomi, and your gods will be my gods. And where, where, where you are, I, that's where I'm going to be. This was, this was a complete and full commitment. And notice the language that she uses here. Look at just the, that underlined portion beginning in verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. And listen to this. Where you die, I will die. And, and there I will be buried. This wasn't, this wasn't a statement of sort of like, we'll see how this goes. Right? We're going to take, you know, some, some reasonable, measurable steps. We're going to test the water. That's not Ruth's stance. That's not Ruth's posture in this. She dives in with Naomi in this new way of life. And notice, too, that it's, it's not just about her going with her. Notice the level to which she commits, even to my death. Though if this, if this decision costs me my life, I'm going to stick with it. I'm, I'm transitioning from one life to a new life. I'm making a change. I'm, I, I'm, this is, you know, we, we hear the stories about the sailors, and probably the most famous was Cortez, and if you get into it, there may have been other motivation, right? But they land in the new world, and then what does the captain do? He burns the ships, right? We're not going back. This is, this is the same sort of, like, statement from Ruth. Naomi, I'm burning the ships, not going back. I'm with you to the very end. What drives us to waver? Why don't we make commitment the same way? If Ruth becomes a model, and by the way, Ruth is a fascinating study. Um, In the book of Ruth, honestly, Ruth herself says very little. There's great description of her, but there's only a few places where she actually speaks or says something. We just read one of them. We'll see others in in today, a little later today in coming weeks. But but she had became this example for the, the, the Jewish people. She became this example of almost like an idealized or perfect woman, okay? It's, it's fascinating. And in fact, oftentimes her, her uh, what would that be, her grandson there, right? Um, Dave, king David becomes like the, the example of like the perfect king. 
But, but even David's flaws, significant flaws, are recorded in the scriptures. You won't find anything in the book of Ruth that gives us any flaw about Ruth. She's almost too good to be true. She was set up and established as this model to be followed. And one of the reasons is because her commitment was full and complete. I waver on my commitments. I, I, I waver in my commitment in my faith to follow God. I, I do. Sometimes it's just hard. Like, like it, it's... <laughs> What's being asked of me is challenging, and, and it's, the cost is great. I have to, I'm going to have to give up things that I don't want to give up. We already said it. Sometimes it just doesn't seem sensible. It doesn't seem sensible to take less, to make less, to, like, that doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Sometimes I waver on my commitment because, quite frankly, I just think I have a better idea, right? Like, I have a better idea. Or I might think that, um, you know, I, I just, if I knew then when I made the commitment what I know now, so I, can, I should be able to get out of this. I, I should be able to move on. To, and again, this isn't that we don't change over time. This isn't that we don't grow. We may say, like, I'm just not the same person I was. It's not necessarily that I didn't know. I just, I've changed and so I think it's sensible and reasonable for me to not keep my commitment, to not stay faithful. And again, we can look at this. We can, we can sort of analyze our own lives and our own decision-making. And we can look backwards at different choices along the way, at, at choices to, to stay or choices to go, and we can sort of use a set of criteria for, that, for that, those decisions and analyzing those decisions and say, mate, that was the sensible choice. Yep. You put everything on the scale, and the scale's weighed out to say, right, right decision. But I would bet that at, at certain stations along in the story of Ruth, there were times where it was the exact opposite. When they're, when they're moving into a new place, when they get back to Bethlehem and the people are shocked that they're back, like, what are you doing here? I bet they had doubts about whether or not they'd made the right decision. Why would you have come here? Why, why, are, you, why are you home? There's nothing here for you now. And so they, they didn't do the sensible thing. Like, like Ruth doesn't do... What, what just sort of would line up with, with reason or logic. She does something quite the opposite. So she goes with Naomi. I'm just to fast forward a few things and, and move further down. We're going to look at a section in chapter 2 here for a minute. Okay, if you've got your Bibles out, we're going to go to chapter 2 for a second. So they, she doesn't do the sensible thing. She goes with Naomi to this strange land for her in this place of Bethlehem, and they get there. So there's two widows, and essentially they're forced to beg in the fields is what happens. Ruth goes out into the fields to just take the scraps that are left over as, as others harvest, and she takes them, and that's what they're living on. Um, but, but, but she does it, and, and this is a dangerous practice for a young woman. It's clear that, that it was possible that even this, this practice of Ruth going out into the fields and just taking the leftovers from what was being harvested, that this was dangerous because she's warned about it. And then as she meets Boaz, we're going to see like, like what he has to say about it. So, 
So she has gone and she's done this in the field of Boaz. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 8, because there's something else I want us to see here. So take a look at this. Chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this. Then Boaz said to Ruth. So she's been in the field, and she, she thanks Boaz for, for his kindness to let her do this. He says, now listen, my daughter, which we'll say a little bit more about this, but notice the, the, word, the, the words that Boaz is using to describe Ruth. There's clearly a, an age gap between Ruth and Boaz that we'll deal with probably more next week. But listen to my daughter. Do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? As Ruth understands this sort of cultural pecking order, not only is she a woman, not only is she a widow, she's a foreign widow. And here's this man who, if he owned land and others were working in his fields, he was a man of, of, of standing. He was a man with resources. He had some wealth. And so he, he, she's saying rightly, like, why would you even take notice of me? Verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. So this whole story of what, what Ruth has done with Naomi and the way she's cared for and stayed with her and been faithful to her has been told. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now listen to this in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Notice something that they assumed here. Notice something that they assumed. They assumed that, that the kindness that they were showing to Ruth in this was actually the kindness of God himself. Did you catch this? You've come to seek refuge among us, and it's, it's under the wings of God. It's under his protection that you've come. So Boaz saw his kindness to her as, as an act of a way of, of, of showing her the very love of God, welcoming the stranger, the outsider. It, it, for him, it was a connection that, that, that was important to be done for this person who had no place, who had no standing, who was at the bottom of, of society. And he said, You're, we're taking care of you because it's, we are God's hands taking care of you. We are God's protection for you. We talk about this all the time around here, but, but this is, the, the idea is because, because like, if, if we're going to love God and love our neighbor, the two, those two things are attached to each other because our neighbor is the, the, the person made in the image of God. We are loving God by loving our neighbor, and that's what Boaz is saying here. By doing this for you, I'm, I'm taking care of, like, I'm, I'm doing my love for my neighbor, and, and, and in so doing, I'm loving God. So Ruth gathers in his fields, and it tells us in the story through multiple harvests. We're not done with this idea. She gathered in his fields through multiple harvests. Um, so a, 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 certain, a, a period of time passes, and then Naomi persuades Ruth to approach Boaz with a plan. Okay? Also, this is not sensible. Okay? To approach Boaz with a plan, it's a plan for him to marry Ruth. We've, there's, a, there's a discrepancy, not just in age, but there's a discrepancy in social standing, in social power. They, they were not a good match in many ways, okay? Like, Boaz would have been a man, like I said, of power and resource. Ruth would have been a woman of, of no power and no resource. And, but Naomi persuades Ruth to, to hatch this plan. 
Um, and and to get, that's going to be the, the emphasis. The, their relationship is going to be the emphasis we talk about over the next couple weeks in this series. But, but I want us to look at chapter 3 and something that happens in the midst of this. Um, it's a really strange courtship where Ruth goes to Boaz at night. Um, and it says she uncovers his feet, I'm going to assume, so that he would be cold and wake up. Um, well, again, we'll say more about this. But then when he wakes up, there's a woman at his feet. Okay? As a young man, I would have probably appreciated that kind of courtship. Um, but it seems strange to us culturally, um, as it should. And, and, but, but, but Boaz, it was strange to Boaz as well. He was not expecting this. So he wakes up, and Ruth is present. And we want to read this. This is in chapter 3, verse 6. And we're, we're, we're getting to an idea here. So she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor, and just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he had a full stomach and maybe it had a little more to drink than he should have, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now look what she says. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Did you catch that? In chapter 2, Boaz says, you've come here and God is spreading his wings over you in protection. Ruth says, now you do that for me, Boaz. You spread your wings over me. You protect me. She was asking him, to, to be, um, she was asking him to be his wife. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. The, her, her reputation had spread. It was, they were aware that Ruth was a worthy woman. So he, he says, be blessed. He, he, would, he would do this thing. Um, and, um, and this leads us to our second big thought, okay? This leads us to our second big thought, and, and we've wandered to get here, but, but hear me out on this. Ruth's commitment to, to God, to Yahweh, to Jehovah, through Naomi and, and her life with Naomi, her commitment came first, and then the benefit came later, Okay? Catch the order of those things. I think it's important. Because we tend to say, God, if you give me what I'm after, I'll stay committed to you. Right? God, make me a certain kind of life. And if you give me that sort of life, I'll use it to, to, your, to your goodness, to your benefit. But if you don't give me that life, all bets are off. Let's be honest with ourselves in these things. We reverse the order primarily. That's not what we see in the story of Ruth. Ruth, in, in, an, in, a, in a reckless way, does something completely unsensible. And she goes with Naomi. She commits to, to God, the Lord, in a way that, again, it just didn't compute. It didn't make sense. Why would you be doing this? And in the end, after that, she receives the benefit. The language that they're using is, this is the right and proper outcome of the, the, the direction that you've chosen, Ruth. 
where you were heading, this is where it ends. But it's difficult to get there. You see, I, I think, I believe that Ruth's full commitment to take care of Naomi, to go with her, it wound up being more than she ever could have imagined because she wasn't doing it in some sort of mercenary fashion to get something good. She was doing it because she was going to remain faithful to, to the God of Naomi. She was going to stay faithful to this cause and this purpose that, that she believed she had been called to. And so she wouldn't waver. And so God does this incredible thing through her. He does this amazing thing where this line through which Naomi was the, the grandmother of and the great-grandmother of and the great-great-grandmother of, this line stays intact that would have ended that comes to King David. And David's offspring then is Jesus Christ. You see, God was doing something in this story, but Ruth didn't know all of that when she made the commitment. She had no way of knowing. She simply stayed true and faithful to the commitment. So if we're talking about faithfulness, faithfulness is a real thing. It's a real thing. It's a real and powerful and virtuous thing. And if it's real and it's powerful and it's virtuous and it's part of what God uses, we had better believe that God's enemy, that, that Satan, who also is real, is going to do whatever he can to subvert it. He's going to do everything he can to convince us that faithfulness is overrated. That, no, 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 the, 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 you've got to be more sensible. No, 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 no the cost is going to be too great. You've got a, there's a better plan. There's a better plan. Go with that one. No, everyone, you know what? If you take that plan, everyone's going to say about you how smart you were to make that decision. That's what everyone will say. Go that way. Oh, you can't keep that commitment. You can't stay faithful. That's foolishness. Everyone else is bailing out. No one will stay faithful to that group of people that you're, you've committed to their good and their benefit. And, and I think we need to understand something powerful and important right here as we turn our attention towards wrapping this up. This is absolutely true. God will do what he's going to do without our faithfulness. Okay? Like, God, God, if God could have brought Christ to the world without Ruth's faithfulness in this instance. He could have done it, for sure. I mean, he, he's unbounded. He can do what he wants to do. However, Without faithfulness, we may no longer be participating in what God is doing. I think that's the story of Ruth. Without faithfulness, we may be stepping away from the work that God is doing. He's going to do it without me, if need be. I, that's hard for me to swallow. I want to think God needs me. He's got to have me to get it done. But that's not the case. He can do it without me. But do, am I going to participate in it? Am I going to walk through it with him? Am I going to see it through, to, through the hardship, through the uncertainty? It's the question. 
So we ask this today. What areas of life is faithfulness a struggle? Where is faithfulness a struggle? There could be any number of them, right? Let's, let's be honest. I started this with, like, what do you want to quit on right now? I, I have to stop counting when I'm out of fingers. Like, there's so many things I just want to stop doing because they're tough. It's hard. It's sometimes not even tough and hard. It's just inconvenient, and I'm tired of being inconvenienced. But what, what are some things, and I'm just going to throw some out there. Is family a struggle? Is it a struggle? Do we want to quit? I'm not talking about extreme cases of hanging in when there's abuse or different things. But is my marriage worth the struggle? Because let's be honest, it's not easy. It's difficult. What about as we spin this out to as parents? There are, I love my kids, but man, it's not easy. I love you guys. It's not easy. <laughs> Siblings, aging parents. There's places where it would just be easier to go like, can, can I not carry that? And it might even be sensible to, to say, we might be able to convince ourselves that it, it would be sensible to not have to carry it. But will we be faithful to it? What about faithfulness in our work? We, we sort of have this, we have a, 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 I think we have cultural baggage that plays into this for all of us. And we just need to sort of confront some of these things. But we have a culture of self-determination and independence personal aspiration that's all kind of these enlightenment values that we're built on. And it's not that those things are necessarily inherently bad, but we need to be honest with ourselves that they are, they are apt to corruption. They're easily infected with, with am, selfish ambition, and, 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 and we can present ourselves in ways that, 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 are, um, that, that make us look good in the decision-making process, but they hang other people out to dry. And I'm not here to say you should never switch jobs. Or you, but do we ever consider the cost when we jump around? There's work to do. I know a young man who works in a pizza shop that's struggling right now with coworkers who just bail out before quitting time. They're driven by selfishness. And while we may not be working in a pizza shop. Isn't it easy for us to just bail out before quitting time in our work? Can we see it through? Ah, now I'm going to get in trouble, but I hear. what about commitment to a body of believers? And look, I would say it if I were in another setting with another group of people, okay? It's true. It's not just true here. And remember where we started. God's going to do his work here with or without me. If he's going to go to work, he's going to do it. But they put it here because it's real. The local community, the local church, it needs you. And you need to be engaged. And we make commitments 
but then we often reel them back in pretty quickly. This isn't about guilt in our body. It's, it's about whether or not we're going to, to maintain, to see it through, to stick it out. And I'm convinced, this is, I'm off script a little bit here, but I'm convinced that, that a, a key factor contributing to the marginalization of faith in our culture is the flippancy with which we treat local community. We treat it as if it's just another commodity to be swapped and traded or another consumerist, like, retail experience. And it's more than that. It's just, it, it, it's more than that. It's a commitment to God's people in a local context. I could say more, but what about community abroad? What about commitment to a community? The people in, in my vicinity, in my community, that, that I hopefully stand with and stand for, will I hang in there with them when it's tough? Will I hang in there with them when, when their behaviors are difficult for me? When, when my ideals that I want to live by clash up against theirs and we don't see things eye to eye? It's so easy to just wash my hands of it and move on. I'll go somewhere else. But can we be faithful to place even that God has put us Again, it doesn't mean we never move. That's not what I'm getting at. But I am getting at asking questions about why we do the things we do. Why do we jump from one to the next? Why do we pull up our tents and take off somewhere else? Because I think God may be calling us to greater levels of faithfulness than we currently live and experience. I think it's, I think it's not just possible. I think it's biblical. I think the thing that makes Ruth Ruth is her commitment to love God through loving Naomi. And that required a faithful commitment to it and seeing it through when it wasn't sensible, when it was difficult, when they literally had no idea where the next meal was coming from. She walked that path. And I believe we can too, that God will see us through it that he will benefit us beyond what we could imagine if we're willing to take that step and to go with him. So I ask you that today and this week in our groups, would you just talk about what, what am I struggling with wanting to bail out on? And before we're quick to sort of forgive each other for that, let's really do the work of wrestling through this question. Why do I want to drop it? Why do I want to quit? What's motivating me? Is it just my sensible, tired self? Or is there more to it? And we can explore that together. Would you pray with me? God, I, uh, I confess that my flesh, um, my flesh does not want to hang in, but I want to make an easier path. I want to... Um, I want to I go away that, um, that's just going to, I think, make things easier for me. And I'm thankful for the example of your servant, Ruth. Not knowing where this was headed, she followed you, God, and I ask that you would 
you would help me to reckon with that. You would help me to, to point out the places in my life where I'm, I'm ready to just drop it and give it up. Would you, um, would you show us, Lord? Would you show us your way? Would you, would you help us to see what you're doing and give us uh, the, the faith and the, the perseverance to walk that path with her? And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.